0: with dr frank turek welcome to 2019 ladies and gentlemen the year of our lord question what is the real reason that fewer americans today think religion matters in their lives why do we see this waning importance of religion and christianity in our culture and what can we do about it uh, we also have several questions we'd like to get to. In fact, you keep sending me questions uh, at hello at crossexamined.org. Keep doing that because when we have an opportunity, I'll try and answer those questions. And today it won't just be me. We're going to bring on an expert, a man you all know and love, the great Jay Warner Wallace, cold case homicide detective, Has written several great books, including Cold Case Christianity, God's Crime Scene, Forensic Faith, and now there are – not only kids' books for all of those uh, adult books, there are also curricula that you can get, including uh, DVDs that go with it and workbooks and websites and all sorts of fun stuff there. So coldcasechristianity.com has all of that. And it's always great to have my friend Jay Warner Wallace on. Jim, how are you?
1: Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Happy New Year
0: to you. Absolutely. You as well. Now, you've got a few columns out there recently. I know you've been submitting some to Fox News You've got a few up there. I'm, I'm looking at one right now from, uh, the, uh, from townhall.com. The real reason why fewer Americans think religion matters, that this caught my attention uh, because I was just talking about this last week on the podcast, Jim, that a lot of people don't want Christianity to be true. They just want to go their own way. But when you survey people, they're obviously not going to say, well, the reason I'm not a Christian is just because I don't want to be a Christian. Uh, they won't say it's because I want to do my own thing. They want to sound much more reasonable. You know they want to sound like, "Oh, the reason I'm not a Christian is because there's not enough evidence for Christianity and there's better evidence for other worldviews, and that's why i'm not a christian i'm I'm a reasonable person. so it's really difficult to get good survey data, but you seem to have uncovered something in a recent poll. Why do you think fewer Americans think religion matters and and w- what percentages are we talking about right now?
1: well, well it's so it's so true that you you know we work together a lot, so I get a chance to stand with you on stage and listen to your presentations. You always say that people are not really on a truth quest they're on a happy quest. and that is so true we We, we see it all the time that often volitional or emotional um uh, resistance, masquerades as rational resistance, because nobody wants to say they're having an emotional or volitional uh, reason to to, to deny a, a truth claim. So, so I get that. And and most recently, Gallup has done, and they've been doing this for years. They survey and they ask Americans. How important uh, religion is to, in, in their lives. So, mm-hmm. so these are just Americans who are self-reporting the value, what they think the value is for them, at least, is in in religion. And they just ask those kinds of questions. You know, you know, how important would you say religion is in your own life? Very important, fairly important, or not very important? When the numbers have been shifting, and the trajectory has been very consistent, it is declining. The number of people who would say Americans who would say um, that uh, religion is important, even Christians who would say that religion is, is important. That has been declining over the years, but not without certain little peaks and valleys. And I think that the, that the answer to that question of why we find it less important is, is, is discovered in tracking the peaks and valleys. So, so as it's declining over a long period of time, you will occasionally find that there's a year in which suddenly, for some reason this year, religion is important. To more people. It, it, it rises three or four points or five points. Well, why is that happening? One, one of the times it happened most prominently was after the 9-11 attack in 2001. And there was a short season there of less than 12 months in which people found that their religion was, for some reason, more important than it had been in the year prior. And that, to me, gives away the answer, because what happened, as you know, remembering this very, very well, is that, that people found that they didn't they were searching for answers and they suddenly felt vulnerable. We all felt vulnerable. We felt as though we weren't in control like we thought we were. We had been our our, our inability to control our own lives had been exposed by 9/11. And, and in that season in which we felt vulnerable, we sought an answer that we didn't think we could provide ourselves, and we did that by by returning to church for a season. By thinking about uh, uh, more transcendent, uh, important kind of transcendent spiritual uh, notions, we started to think about these things. And that exposed, for me, what's really behind our increasing decline. It is our in, uh, increasing decline in, in religiosity, and the increasing decline in why people say that religion matters is due to our increasing ability to provide our own answers. It's about autonomy. Yeah. That is the highest value in America. Just leave me alone. And, and we are in an information age in which most of us, you know, before you go to the doctor, you've already Googled this and you've already researched it yourself. You already have the answer, it seems like. You're just going to the doctor to confirm what you already know sometimes. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to answer our own questions. We have what I call a rise in informational autonomy. And, and, of course, in addition to that, we have a rise in what we want morally moral autonomy in that we don't want anyone to tell us. Uh, how to behave morally how to behave sexually how to behave in any and what is and what, are, what does religion do religion provides you with a context in which we are to submit our desires to the to the will of a a holy god and if that's the case then this is a hard sell right now in a culture yeah. in which autonomy has
0: become the highest value yeah well if people think that god's going to take away their happiness or autonomy well so much for god then they're going to they're going to do yeah. their own thing but But you make a very good point that I think I know the week after 9-11, let's see, 9-11 was a Tuesday. So five days later on Sunday, the churches were overflowing because people felt, as you said, vulnerable. They didn't have all the answers. They they thought, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not in control anymore. Maybe I need to look to a higher source. We need comfort. We need answers. And so they came to church. But as you said, 12 months later, (laughs) it was back to normal. Yeah, I
1: remember. I was working in a a church plant in Southern California, and we were renting space in a a local high school. And I was working as the children's pastor. I wasn't even the youth pastor yet. And 9-11 occurs, and and we thought, maybe this church is actually going to make it. Because (laughs) the next weekend, we actually had attendance we'd never seen before. And Uh of course, within a month, it was back to normal. Within two months, for sure, it was back to normal. So once people get a sense that they are back in control... And we have a short memory for these kinds of things. Uh, we, we start to drift away from the source of all infinite knowledge once we start thinking. And let's face it. We are in a culture that technologically is making us more and more autonomous. And, and we, we think we have all the answers. I mean most of the reason why I was an atheist for as long as I was an atheist until I was about 35 is because I believed that science could provide me with all of the answers. And the more we think that. The more we think we can find the answer online, the more we think that science can provide us with all the answers we used to rely on God for, the less we're going to be, we're not going to, not going to see God as important in our lives. And, and that, that, that number is consistently. Now, uh, the, the bright news is that still uh, the majority of us do think that religion matters, mm. but um, this, it is declining. And, and if you look and you go back several generations, you'll see that the, the decline is pretty dramatic. So, so I think it is time, but I, I always have hope that we still have a culture that is interested in such things, it's just time for us to show that Christianity has answers that you're not going to find on the internet, that it has transcendent answers that, that are only available if you investigate the Christian worldview. But if we're not, as leaders in the church, if we're not willing to show that that is the case, if we're just going to toss out our information like everybody else is as an equal— then, then good luck trying to convince a world that thinks they can find the answers on their own. We've got to show that Christianity uniquely answers the questions we
0: all have. Or if we're just going to say that Christianity is uh, just a matter of making your life better here on Earth, well, you can make your life better here on Earth by doing your own thing, at least temporarily, right? That's right. And uh, the problem is, is uh, I mean, you can, you can do something that's very fun— over the short term but over the long term it's a disaster and this is why of course solomon or whoever the proverb writer says there's a way that seems right to a man but the way ends in death what's the right way to live well we're going to talk more with my friend Jay warner wallace we're coming up to on a hard break here my friend my name is uh, frank turek you're listening to cross Examined with frank turek on the american family radio network much more with jim including some of your questions so don't go away back in two Just about every year, ladies and gentlemen, I try and lead a trip normally to the Holy Land, sometimes on the footsteps of Paul. This year, April 2019, we're going to do the footsteps of Paul. We're going to start in Rome, and we're going to get on a ship and make our way through the Greek islands all the way to Athens and Corinth and that whole area there. It's going to be a wonderful time. I just learned from the trip organizer, though, who who uh, puts it together for us, that we're down to the last few seats. And basically, January 14th is the last day or so that you can get on this trip. So if you're on the fence, you need to, you need to go online right now and uh, make a decision as to whether or not you're going to come because we're filling up very quickly. I just... I just spoke to her yesterday and she said, Whoa, we're we're almost full and we gotta make a decision by January fourteenth. So if you really want to be a part of the trip, and I hope you do, it's gonna be a wonderful time. Go to crossexamine.org and click on the banner that'll come up there. If you're not on the internet, you want to call and talk to folks, call triple eight seven seven one eighty seven seventeen. That's triple eight seven seven one eighty seven seventeen. You'll talk to the good folks at LivingPassages dot com They'll tell you all the details. That's this April. We go about April 20th. It's like uh, Easter uh, right through about, I want to say, May 3rd or 4th. It's going to be a wonderful time. Perfect time to be in the med. Not too hot, but the weather's going to be very good. And I love a cruise because if you've never been on a cruise, uh, you just wake up in a new port every day. You're refreshed. You don't have to drag your luggage everywhere like you do when you're on a land cruise. Uh, So it's really refreshing. It's a lot of fun. The food is great. The environment's great. And uh, we're just going to enjoy it, and we're going to see some great biblical sites and also some just some beautiful sites like the the, the island of Santorini, Rhodes, Mykonos, these kinds of places. Just a wonderful tour. I've been on it a couple times. Hope you can join us. Again, go to crossexamine.org, click on the banner. That'll you see come up right there, and get on that trip before the 14th. Otherwise, it's going to close down. All right, we're talking to my friend Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective ColdCaseChristianity.com and Jim. Before we go back to that article and the moral autonomy that people want, I want people to I want people to know about your new revamped um, app because uh, you've really revamped this thing. And we have some some quick answers on our app, but you also have a a, a new section on that app that kind of does the same thing, only in a maybe maybe a more robust way. What is that?
1: Well, I, I knew I learned this from you because we would be uh, teaching at our fearless faith con- uh, conferences, and that, that's something that people should consider bringing to their church. A lot of people listen to your show and don't even probably realize, although well, they probably do realize it, but that how powerful it is to uh, bring young people to these conferences that are offered on Friday nights and Saturday mornings, at, and any church can bring us out. It's, it's probably one of the least expensive ways to run a conference that will actually provide answers for both your congregation and the young people in your congregation. And when we're there, you often talk about how you can use an app to, to, to kind of mine out a quick response when somebody offers something in a conversation that has the potential to kill the conversation. That's what we're trying to do, too. We're saying, okay, look, uh, a lot of times people will throw out an objection because they've seen it powerfully stop conversations online, or they've seen it powerfully be a wrench that these people throw in a machine. And then how do you get past that, that objection? And so I was, I was thinking, okay, I, if we're going to do it on a phone app, it has to be really a one-screen answer, right? You, you, if it requires you to scroll through the one screen or to hit more than one link to get through this, it's probably not going to work. So, so what I've tried to do is provide you know 150 to 200-word answers, responses that are conversational, that involve questions that you can ask back to move past the objection. And each objection – We're going to target the first 50 uh, objections. We're about halfway through. We've got 25 online now. And the idea is that that you would be able to go to your app and, and get one, two, or three different 150 word responses and you can pick the one that works for you. I think people are starting to use these where they'll actually be in the conversation and they'll open up the app and say, well, let me read you something and see what you think about this. And rather than trying to reword it in their own language, they're simply just responding within the phone app. But either way you use it, I mean, both of us are trying to do the same thing. We're trying to provide you know, this radio show does this in a more lasting way every week. We try to provide conferences that you can bring us out to do targeted training, and we try to provide online resources like the phone apps that are designed, really, to help people take a step, right? This is not a, Our phone apps are not the kinds of apps that you, you do to get a daily devotional. What we're trying to do is equip the saints to be good case makers, right. because, again, that's part of the problem we're seeing even in these surveys, is that people think that unless the worldview can offer answers to the questions I have, it's not worth my time. And you see this, for example, right? We talked about the poll, the Gallup poll. It surveyed the degree to which Americans think that religion can answer questions. Because one of the questions they, they asked is, do you think that the religion can answer the questions related to today's problems? And for the first time in more than six decades, less than half of Americans, 46%, said that, that, yes, religion can answer all or most of today's problems. More people are divided today over this issue. They do not believe that religion can answer today's questions about what mm-hmm. ails us as a society. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to provide answers, because we do think it does. And that's where I think you, you, you see that, and, and that's why, when that, if you don't think that, that, that religion offers answers to even your moral questions, well, then why in the world would you behave according to the morals that are taught in Christianity. And again, it gives rise to this moral
0: autonomy. And we're looking here at Jim's new uh, upgrade to his app. It's the Cold Case Christianity app. And I'm looking right now, Jim, I love the way you got this set up. Rapid responses. There's a whole section here. Check this out, ladies and gentlemen. These are are objections to Christianity that Jim has a rapid response to. Who created God? Science explains the universe. Science explains fine-tuning. Science explains the origin of life. Science explains biology. These are all science, obviously, related. Science yeah. explains free will. Evil disproves God. Jesus didn't think he was God. The Gospels weren't written by eyewitnesses. You can't trust the Gospel authors. They lied about the resurrection, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera. He goes on with all these, and they're right here. How do they get this app, Jim?
1: It's like anything else, right? You're on the Android Marketplace or in uh, iTunes store, and you can download it for free. Both of us have done this. We've tried to, to hit the two platforms that are the most robust in phones. So either one of those two, you can download it for free. So so the idea here is that, look, I think sometimes as an atheist, I would accuse Christians like you and I, oh, all these guys want is to increase their, their marketability. They they want mm-hmm. They want to make money. They're trying to increase their platform so they can make more money. Well, you know, as you know, I, I'm a retired detective. I've got a pension. So what yeah. we're trying to do is, how can we? And I, we also know that the best impact you'll have will come come for free. Whatever you can offer for free, and, more well, people and, are likely to access it.
0: And what people, many people don't understand is that you have to pay for that app to be. Open. Oh yeah, you're not no, making I, money I on that app. You have to yeah. pay to put it, it out it there.
1: Cost. And I tried to find the cheapest possible <laughs> app developer, right? Because I knew that was coming out of my pocket every single month. So yeah. That cost me uh, you know, probably about $1,000 a year to, to, to just keep that updated and make uh-huh. that available to people. But it's, it's, it's really a small cost, and I think it's a pretty robust app, given how little it cost me.
0: Well, get, download the app, friends. And, and by the way, there are some apps out there you ought to have. You ought to have this Cold Case Christianity app. Obviously, Crossexamine.org, Stand to Reason has a good app. Yes. Robbie Zacharias has a good app. You ought to have the one by William Lane Craig, ReasonableFaith.org. I mean, we can go on and on with apps, but those are a few of the ones you ought to have on your phone. You ought to have them right there. You ought to be able to access them quickly. And now Jim Wallace has put out a rapid response section, a a quick shot section. It's all up there. You can download it for free at the Cold Case Christianity app. You can get it for Android. You can get it for the iPhone, whatever. Download it. It's free. Use it. All right, Jim, let me go back to the moral autonomy question because – we were talking earlier, for those just tuning in, you're listening to Frank Turek with my friend Jay Warner Wallace on the cross-examined uh, podcast and radio program put out by the American Family Radio Network, and Jim wrote a column which you can go and find at townhall.com called The Real Reason Why Fewer Americans Think Religion Matters, and you've got about half the country saying it really does matter, and the other half saying no, um, And you talked about autonomy earlier in the program, but there's another aspect of autonomy, not just that I can get my own answers and I can figure out life for myself, but there's really a moral autonomy, that people want to do their own thing. And this is many times the reason why people won't become Christians. It's not that they couldn't, it's that they won't. What did this this Gallup poll and maybe some other polls show us about what people really want when it comes to moral autonomy.
1: Yeah, you know, you talk about this all the time uh, in the book, I Have No Faith to Be an Atheist, the idea, and on all of our stage presentations, the idea that, 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 that the existence of, of objective, transcendent moral truths, moral claims, and moral obligations is really a good evidence for the existence of God. Now, what's interesting about this is that you would think that Christians, that we would understand that as, as a group uniquely uh, wired to do that. We, we've, we've kind of been taught to understand this, right? But it, it turns out that the most recent polling from Barna reveals that Christians themselves have moved toward a model in which they think, that the, the number of people who think, Christians now I'm talking about, that that um, that. Right and wrong is a matter of personal experience. In other words, that individuals decide what is right or wrong. Okay, well, in America, that's, that's pretty much a majority of, of, of adults. Fifty-seven percent in America say, yeah, right and wrong is just a matter of personal choice and personal experience. This is really the ep- ep- epitome of, of, of autonomy. This is the idea that I get, moral autonomy, I get to decide what is right and wrong.
0: Hey, Jim, let me ask you a question about that, though. I just want to make sure because, you know, a lot of times this, it's how they ask the question that can be confusing. Was the question asked in such a way that the person might answer that my personal experience can help me discover what the objective right thing is? Or was the question asked in such a way that the people said, my personal experience is all I need to determine right and wrong for myself?
1: Yes. No, it's actually – does moral right or wrong depend on what individuals believe, what societies believe, or what uh-huh. God believes?
0: So, oh, okay. The
1: people, so I'll give you an example of this. There's a Gen Z uh, study done last year, uh-huh. and these are the teenagers, right? These are the, the youngest amongst us. That generation, by the way, within about five years will be the largest demographic generation in America. They outnumber boomers. They're not yet, but they're going to. Gen X, they outnumber millennials. So there's a large group of of young people who are coming up in the church, and those Gen Z believers who are coming up in the church, okay, are really likely to believe that that uh, more likely to believe than other generations that what is morally right and wrong. Number one changes over time based on society. Mm-hmm. That group is believes that more than any other group in our, our country. Gen Z believes that. And two, what is right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. That just came out of a study last year that Barnett did on strictly Gen Z. We've got some work to do because it turns out that, 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 that the, the kids the kids we are raising are probably not agreeing with their parents or their grandparents about the foundation of moral truth. And that's 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 that believe it or not, that's just gonna feed into because, because again what is it we we have classically and traditionally turned to religion to help us with? Of course, for salvation. But then, once you're saved and you're being guided in your Christian life, it's about moral choices.
0: Mm-hmm. We're talking to Jay Warner Wallace, who's written Cold Case Christianity and God's Crime Scene and Forensic Faith and kids' books that go with that, and also curricula. He's got a brand new updated app you need to get. We're talking about moral autonomy, why fewer people are thinking religion is important to them. And we're going to talk about that and other questions right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the AFR Talk Radio Network back into. two. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamine.org. Don't forget the TV show. It's on Roku. It's also NRB on Roku, National Religious Broadcasters on Roku. It's on DirecTV channel 378. If you don't have that, it's on the internet, including our app, the cross-examined app, Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern and 1 a.m. Eastern, really Thursday morning. Uh, Don't forget about the TV program. Also download the app. We're talking to my friend Jay Warner Wallace. And one more thing before I go back to Jim, and that is, I'm going to be in New Orleans this week. Uh, The New Orleans... A uh, Baptist Seminary there has a week-long apologetics conference, uh, conference a week-long, uh, and I'm just there—what day am I there? I think I'm there Wednesday and Thursday, but the entire week, uh, they've got Gary Habermas, they've got Richard Howe, they've got Craig Hazen, uh, they've got several other speakers you're not going to want to miss— so go to our website, crossexamine.org, click on events, you'll see uh, that there. If you're anywhere near New Orleans, love to see you, and I'm sure the other folks would like to see you as well. It's a whole week long, uh, put on by uh, Bob Stewart down there, great great gentleman, great apologi- apologist down there, who I think may teach at the seminary down there. And uh, that's coming up also, a little bit later in the month, I'll be at Ohio State and I'll be at a, a church in, I believe, Westerville. In fact, i got to look that up myself. Where am I going? Uh, I'll get you the details later, but it's all on the website, crossexamine.org. You can click on calendar there. You can also see uh, J. Warner Wallace's calendar at crossexamine.org, or you can check him out at uh, his website, coldcasechristianity.com. So hope to see you guys either in New Orleans or up in Ohio later this month. Now, uh, Jim, we've got, as you've seen in the surveys— uh, even the Christian Christians are saying that, well, morality is whatever I want it really to be. I get to decide morally what's right and wrong. How can we disabuse Christians of that notion?
1: Well, I think uh, one of the ways you do it is, is recognize that uh, although we say this, and although a lot of us will say it, uh, none of us really live it. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a right. consistent—all of us have something that we value so much that we would say that's not a matter of opinion. It's just a matter of knowing the person you're talking to well enough to identify what it is that they hold of a high value and then show them that, hey, so is that just a matter of opinion, this thing that you regard? And also we we, we would say that there are some injustices that have been corrected in the course of history, Mm -hmm. the way, for example, we treated African-Americans prior to the civil rights movement. Now, look, if you'd have polled uh, culture, you'd have found that the vast majority of Americans agreed with the way things were. Right. So how is it we can reform that kind of a situation? If, 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 again, if individuals get to decide these kinds of things, then who am I to tell any individual that they're not thinking clearly on the issue? Yet clearly, most of us would say, and I think the person you're talking to would say, well, no, that, that, they, were, they were wrong. There were some moral wrongs that needed to be corrected. Are we saying back when slavery was, uh, was, was uh, accepted by the vast majority of people in a country, it was therefore okay? Well, no, of course we would say not that individuals don't decide if that kind of thing is okay. It is okay or not okay based on a transcendent standard that actually transcends culture. Look, we would say, I, always, I, wrote, I wrote about this in a book called God's Crime Scene, that there are these levels of, of moral grounding. And the question is, if it's between individuals, then who gets to adjudicate? You can't adjudicate anything. If it's between cultures... Well, who overse- oversees two cultures to adjudicate between two cultures? Mm, mm. If, if there's even a Star Trek universe in which there are Romulans and Klingons, it's still not okay to torture Romulan babies for the fun of it. Who is over- who's the overarching authority over all these different civilizations in the universe if there's a Star Trek universe? And my point is, you have to follow up the authority, and we really recognize that at some point there has to be an objective, transcendent authority that is the bottom line. It's the stopping point for all moral decisions. And, and so, again, we, we're going to have to start by finding what is it that other person recognizes as having moral value, and then just challenge that. Say, well, in my opinion, you're wrong, and therefore I'm right and you're right. No one's right, really. By the way, anytime you're willing to say that you're right and I'm right and these two opinions have equal value, what you're really saying is that no one's right. Mm-hmm. so because because again, the only way that if we contradict each other, the only way both of us could be equally uh considered is if we 're equally wrong, not if we 're equally right, because our our views are actually
0: contradictory you know seventy percent of the questions I get on a college campus and you go to colleges too, and i 'd venture to say it's probably true in in your case as well, seventy percent of the questions are normally morality related morality yeah. is so relevant to everyone because. You know you can you can ignore the the scientific evidence for a designer or a creator, but it's really hard to ignore the fact that torturing babies for fun is really objectively wrong, or that the Nazis were really objectively wrong, or that slavery, uh, the kind of slavery we had in this country is objectively wrong, or sex trafficking is objectively wrong. These things are really wrong it's not just my opinion or your opinion, and yet even We even have Christians, according to the Gallup poll, saying it's all a matter of opinion. I guess, Jim, if we took your approach and pointed these things out, I think maybe, I hope most Christians would go, you know, I, I guess I was really wrong about thinking that morality is all subjective. <laughs> you
1: know? right. Anyway. Well, how about this? How about what? this? How would, we, how would we actually do criminal trials if the nature of truth is grounded in individuals? Because let's face it, um, that means that the, the defense attorney and his team, all of the people who are working on this all the paralegals and the defendant himself, they hold a different view than we as the prosecuting team uh, hold. But if you're saying that, that these that the truth is only rooted in our personal opinions, we would say no. Criminal trials is really where uh, the epistemological rubber meets the road. I always say that, that this idea of epistemology of how we know what we know, how we know something is true. The only grand uh, laboratory for that is criminal trials right? because that's the place where we're going to make claims about a transcendent, an objective truth related to this crime. And then we're going to test theories and ways to persuade others that this is objectively true. And so if we – and by the way, what we do when we're picking our jurors is that we are eliminating those people who think such things like – truth is grounded in individual opinion. If you believe that, and we can expose that during our process, we're just not going to impanel you, because we know you can't make a decision that's going to be uh, valuable in this process. So again, if we all uh, embrace this view, we have to say goodbye to the criminal justice system as we know it.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Hey, let me ask you a couple of questions that I've gotten, since you're here and you're an expert, and it takes all the pressure off me when you answer questions directed at me. Let me let me, I, I just got a question from Sam who writes this. In Stealing from God, which I bought from my mom and she's loving it. Well, thanks, Sam. Uh, I remember you citing much information about the mind being different from the brain, yet dementia, a material disease, impacts our immaterial, our immaterial memory. How would you explain this? So let me ask you that question, Jim, because you've actually written on this in your book as well called, called God's Crime Scene. How would you answer that?
1: Yeah, I think this is something that I've had to think about, because my family, there have been people uh, in my great-grandparents and and my grandparents on one side that have suffered from uh, dementia. Mm -hmm. But they're a lot older, like they're in their 90s when they started to suffer with this. And then the question became, as I was interacting with them, what is really the nature of mind? Now, what I tried to do in God's Crime Scene is to look at all of the explanations for mind that come from naturalism, this idea that everything can be explained with just space, time, matter, physics, and chemistry. And then I looked at the view that we hold as a Christian. We, we are dualists. We believe that there are minds and brains, souls and bodies. We believe in the dual nature of humanity. But here you have an example of where the apparent loss of mental functioning, this thing that minds do, is resulting from brain damage or dementia, this physical thing we call the brain. Doesn't that then connect that connection between the physical brain damage and the impaired mental state? Doesn't that prove that the non material mind is simply an illusion, an artifact of this brain? I don't think it does. And I'll tell you why. I I think I tried to make this, try to alliterate it a a little bit. These two entities, the mind and the brain, can be causally interconnected without being completely indistinguishable, the C-I, causally interconnected without being completely indistinguishable. Because dualists like you and I, we, we, we agree that we, we don't reject the existence of the brain. Of course, we, we believe there are brains, but we also believe there are minds, and we believe there's a relationship between mind and brain, even at, although we reject the idea that they are one and the same. Now, So, so even though brain damage may inhibit our access right to, to mental states, that doesn't mean that minds don't exist. Let me give it to you this way as, a, as an illustration. Um, if your computer on occasion is unable to access the Internet, this does not mean that the Internet does not exist. It means mm-hmm. that your physical uh, computer is unable to access this database of, of information on the Internet. And and so it, it, you can have that problem where you have no access. So, so not, even, not even all neurosurgeons not even all neuroscientists and researchers reject the existence of the mind. Uh, Many believe there are minds. And they're still searching to understand that causal relationship between the mind and the brain. So I'm not willing, and I don't think there's any good reason evidentially, to reject minds just because... I don't reject the Internet just because my computer's not working.
0: Right. I would say, too, and I I cover this, and I know you do as well in your book, but I, I, I cover this in the reason chapter in stealing from God, um, obviously there's not necessarily a one-to-one correspondence between your mind and your brain as well, because your brain changes over time. But you can, st- if if, if the, all the molecules in, in your body change every seven years or 15 years, whatever it is, and yet you can still remember things from longer than 15 years ago, obviously there's not a one-to-one correspondence between the mind and the brain. It seems to me that the brain is kind of the instrument that we use to get the mind. So if you damage the instrument, you'll damage the mind. But that doesn't mean the mind and the brain are the same. And it also yeah, seems to me that the from idea the degree...
1: Very- ca- right, it's the idea of causal intercourse. Now, I will say right. this to you, though. Mm-hmm. It is true from making a case for soul that our bodies, right, they, they, we, are, we replace cells at a pretty rapid rate. But that is not yeah. true of brain cells. Mm-hmm. Brain cells don't do that. And, that. and that is why they can make this case. That, hey, yeah, you have a memory because you're using the same brain cells you were for years. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, fine. Again, it comes down to is the computer all there is once you open the internet? Of course not. You have to figure out, well, what is it? Well, if I can't access the internet, it's either the internet is down or my, my router's not working or the computer's. There are several uh, steps between these two things. And I think that you may have uh, immaterial mental thoughts. For example, we see this all the time in coma patients, right? Who, who come out of their coma and, t- and tell us that, yeah, I was able to hear everything you said right that entire time I was able to access it. So I always uh, – this is true of the family members I've had who had Alzheimer's. I never treat them as though they are kids. I have the same conversations with them that I would have with somebody who's lucid because I don't know what that relationship between brain and mind is. And I want to respect the existence of souls and minds independent of brains and bodies.
0: There are, I think there's something I have it in here in the in the text too I'm looking for it right now my own book about the placebo effect that's where your mind actually can change your body rather than that's your right. body just impacting your mind so the placebo right. effect is well known thinking about certain things can actually cause physical change changes physical in your body that's right. That's right. Um, and also there's the problem of, look, if our minds and our, our our brains are the same, if we're just molecular machines, then we shouldn't trust anything we think. We're not really reasoning. We're just reacting, as I've talked about many times on the show. Anyway, we're not out of time in this segment. My friend Jay Water Wallace is on with me. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go away. we got a lot more to talk about, more of your questions, so don't go away. There's a lot more on the Mind a uh, Brain Issue in Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case, as well as God's Crime Scene, the book written by my guest, Jay Warner Wallace. So pick up those two books if you want to read more about that. But I have another question uh, that was sent to me that I'd like uh, Jim to weigh in on. It comes from uh, Aiden, who writes, I have a question in Revelation. Many times this is an eschatology question. We don't normally deal with those questions Uh, here, but it's a good question. I I thought we'd bring it up. It's not not essential to the faith, but it's an important question. He says, in Revelation, many times Jesus says, I am coming soon. The prophecy also says that the time is near, and it says to not seal up this book for the time is, is near. Also, throughout the New Testament, it is said that those in the first century were already in the last days or even the last hour. In Daniel, what is said to happen in the distant future is fulfilled Less than 500 years later, but in Revelation, it's actually a little bit, well, yeah, it's about 500 years, but later in Revelation, he is coming soon, and that means 2,000 years or more. Uh, What does this mean in light of the fact that it's been almost 2,000 years since, and what is meant by the last days? Is not a false prophecy right? I would greatly appreciate some help. What do you think, Jim?
1: Good question. Um, now, I've, I've written about some of these things. I, I, this is one of those I've taken notes on in the past that I really need to write an article about it. So you've, you've now prompted me <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to, uh, to kind of formalize my thoughts on this. Um, this is something that I uh, also ponder, especially as a new Christian. Uh, this is, I think mean, these things kind of pop off the page. But I, I'm going to give you what, what might at first sound like a pretty crummy, um, weak uh, response, uh, and then I'm going to ch- tell you why the response is actually, I think, pretty good. And well, that is, first of all, we know that to God, this idea of time is, we know the psalmist in Psalm 90 says, a thousand years in your sight, speaking of God, are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting about that verse is that it means we've got to stop thinking about time the way we think about time when we're dealing with anything that deals with God, because God's sense of time is different than ours. But I think that that, that, just saying that is not enough. I, I think that... Where it really, rubber meets the road for me, is when Peter talks about Psalm 90. And he talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 3. And, and here's what he says. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is, is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some account slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now that's Second uh, Peter, rather, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. He's quoting, or at least he's citing a small portion of Psalm 90 to make his case, for these who are suffering, uh, this, Peter's writings are, are often talking about suffering in this, in this present life, but he talks about this, and I think he, un- he decodes problem here in this verse here's here's why I think he decodes it that Greek word taku which is translated soon or quickly in so many passages right
0: mm-hmm. it
1: often is, just simply means without unnecessary delay but it also that word is also used to express a different idea I think is the I, the idea that's in revelation and also that here in second Peter and that is it's to say that not just without delay or soon but by sudden surprise, by sudden surprise. Now, if it's, if it's interpreted that way, then the 2,000 years doesn't really matter, because it's not about, uh, he's going to come back soon. He's going to come back suddenly. And we know that's the, the context in which Peter's using it, because he says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You're not going to know when it comes.
0: Mm. And
1: the idea here for Peter was, this is not the time for you to, 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 to surrender, to walk away from your faith, because it doesn't feel like God's moving enough. You want to be found waiting, found ready, because that day is going to come quickly, by surprise. You're not going to know when it's going to come, and we're told that, that you're not going to know when it's going to come. Matthew says it this way in chapter 24, Therefore you must all be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So I always think any effort to figure out what the hour is would be, be calling Jesus a liar here, because he's saying, no, you're you not to yeah. expect that. It's yeah. going to come suddenly. And if that's the context in which this is meant, and I believe it is, well, then I'm not looking – I don't care how many years have gone by. That's not the point of the verse, so The point is, you need to be ready, because it could be any time. I'll tell you this, Frank. I have worked so many homicide scenes, but more importantly, they call us out on all the death scenes to see – make sure. Some of these are kind of suspicious. Do you think this is a homicide? So they will call us out. Every DBR, dead body report, comes across my desk. I've got to look at it and say, okay, now this is nothing. This is a natural. This is good. This is good. We're okay. And if something looks suspicious, then we we open a case. But I will tell you, having watched how people are caught in their file, what it is people are doing when they suddenly have that heart attack or stroke, there are some embarrassing things that people are doing when they finally die. And what we're told in these verses is that, hey, this could happen at any time. Do not be caught, embarrassed, because of what you're doing, or what you've th- thought in the last... Be, always be ready, both in your what your activities are and in your, your mind and your heart, because you're not going to get notice on this. It's going to happen suddenly. And that's, I think, the context of that Greek word as it's used in those verses.
0: So when he says last days or last hour, would you think that that is better translated, we're in... Uh, the period where Christ could come at any moment in other words his, his coming is imminent there is nothing on the prophetic calendar that needs to happen because uh, Aiden, who wrote this question talks about Daniel said what would happen in the distant future it's filled in less than 500 years but Daniel gave a specific time if you, he talked about yeah. the 70 weeks and all that and it literally right. comes out to 33 AD if you do the math right but Revelation's not doing that so does, does last days Jim mean imminent in your view?
1: Well, okay, so I think it's totally different when you look at Old Testament prophecies, which are very specific. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why I don't treat New Testament writings that way is because Jesus told us not to. Mm-hmm. He's basically saying to us, just be ready, because mm-hmm. you will not—you're gonna, going to be surprised by this. Paul puts it this way in First Thessalonians, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Peter says it that way. Paul says it that way. All the apostles said, because they were taught well by the Master, who told them, don't be counting days. You ain't going to know when it's coming. It's going to surprise you. And if you think it, somebody's going to tell you exactly when it's going to happen, shame on you. I told you not to do that, because it's going to come when you do not expect. If, you, if there's a number of days that have been predicted, you would expect it then, wouldn't you?
0: Right, right.
1: And you're, you're not to expect it. So, so I think that I don't treat Old Testament prophecies. Yeah, it's, it's great. Daniel's gave us a specific thing. It happened within a specific time to accomplish a specific purpose. But that's not what I think is happening in the New Testament. We're just told to be ready. And why I think that's so important, Frank, is that, I don't know about you, but as a, I've been a Christian now 21 years, 22 years, and there are still times when I would be appalled if God took me right now. Hmm. And I think the call on our lives is that we are not we're to be ready, so that if if in that moment you're taken up, a very dear friend of mine um, on the day after Christmas went snowboarding. He was the pastor at our church, he was the first guy who ever used me in children's ministry to lead our, a, a a mega church a children's ministry. He was my the, the children's pastor who who hired me, and um, the day after Christmas this year he he died uh, snowboarding
0: was that the guy from venture?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I
0: saw that uh, just the other day uh, on yeah. the internet. Yeah. yeah, he
1: was the first Craig Chitilla. He was the first guy who ever, and just a great guy. Oh, I didn't guy. even know
0: you knew him. I'm sorry to hear yeah, that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We were you know, so I worked for Craig for two years, and I will That's... tell you that when that happened, mm-hmm. it just brought to my mind the the, the how 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 um, short life is and how unexpected it is, and at the same time, I thought I know he loved his snowboard, and he was a very good athlete, and and his wife Mary found him at the end of the run. I mean, he died doing something that he was loving to do. But I mm. often wonder, because I haven't worked all those DBRs, man, a lot of people don't die uh, doing what they love to do or what honors God in the process. Not all of us are going to die on the stage preaching the gospel, okay? Mm. I mean, that would be great, right? But it, it, that's right. not how, probably how it's going to happen. And I think the call that we see in all the New Testament Scripture is that you are to be ready. And that's the, that, 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 that the way that Taku is, I think, being used, at least by Peter here, who's citing this, I think by Paul in First Thessalonians. I think that even when Jesus talks about it in this way, he's talking about, well, as he said, "Be ready, because the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect."
0: It's really sad too, because there have been so many date setters over our lifetimes. You know, ever since Israel got back in the land, people have been saying, "Well, Christ is going to come in '88." And 88 yeah. reasons why Christ will come in '88. 89 yeah. reasons why he'll come in '89. <laughs> 90 reasons why he'll come. You know. And this has been going on and on and on. I remember Dr. Geister saying in class one day, he said, if Jesus didn't know as a man when he was coming back, then Hal Lindsey doesn't know either. <laughs> right? Yeah, no kidding. Hal yeah, Lindsey wrote so that true. famous book, Late Great Planet Earth, which, by the way, brought a lot of people to Christ, even though it was wrong. No, <laughs>
1: shows, God uses that stuff. Yes, which, which, which it shows you that God
0: can even draw a straight line with a crooked stick like he does with us, right? That's right, exactly. Perfectly yeah. said. So, but anyway, yeah, we got to stop date setting. So, that's a good insight on revelation. So, Aiden, uh, go back and listen to this podcast again. Good question uh, from Aiden. We also answered the question about uh, the mind body issue. So, Jim, we're about out of time, but tell our listeners again where they can learn more about you and how they can get your app again.
1: Well, you know, a lot of our work is at the crossexamine.org uh, uh, website. You can get uh, my schedule there as well. I'm also, you can find me at, at coldcasechristianity.com. And that's a good place to kind of read the daily stuff that we're doing. But but I think that really we do these articles, right, because we think we we can help you in 600 words. And we do apps because we want to help you in 150 words. And unfortunately, if you really want to learn, that's why we write books. We write books because we know that to really drill deep into these issues, And to be ready, you're going to have to read something. So I hope that you you, you have read some of the great books. You you and I are both writing our books at the same time, Stealing from God and God's Crime scene, and we would send these to each other. So I'm hoping they're kind of a one-two punch in in addressing these issues.
0: Well, that's great that those books are out there. Now, the app is out there, friends. Download it at uh, where you get apps. Look for the Cold Case Christianity app. All those quick shots in there, uh, the, uh, the very quick answer section. That you're gonna get a lot out of you can also listen to jim he has a podcast as well tv program as well so listen to all that with Jay warner wallace over there at coldcasechristianity.com i'm frank turk great being with you i want to remind you about the footsteps of paul trip you want to be on it this year in april you got to sign up by january 14th go to the website crossexamine.org and click on the banner there also as i mentioned i'll be in new orleans this week and a little bit later this month at Ohio State. See you next time, friends. God bless. The
1: views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.